0: Now we're going to get into the age of the apostolic fathers of the church. This is the first three centuries after Jesus. Okay, so Jesus gives the gospel of the kingdom to the apostles, and the apostles give it to the apostolic fathers, and they're called apostolic fathers because their goal was to preserve the teaching of of the gospel of the kingdom unchanged. All right, now, behind the gospel of the kingdom is this understanding of what Jesus does and who Jesus is, okay? The whole world is under the power of the evil one. Jesus comes into the world to establish an opposing kingdom to rescue the human race that's under bondage, not only bondage to sin, but under bondage to the enemy, to the evil one, to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness and introduce us into the kingdom of light so that we become citizens of a new kingdom and members of the household of God. This was an amazing new thing that was happening, and it was proven through deliverances and through the transformational kingdom of God that was actually taking place at the time. So one of the things that you see in that period of time is the whole concept of spiritual warfare. In other words, Jesus didn't come just to put us in heaven after we die. He came to bring a conflict. He came to bring an opposing kingdom that was not only going to crush the political kingdom of Rome, but it was going to crush the kingdom of the evil one, to destroy the works of the devil. And that's why we call it the gospel of the kingdom. It's, it's, it's there to, it's coming, it's becoming a reality to, to introduce a transformation on the earth. And, um, and that happens through the, Seven ingredients of By My Spirit Christianity, you see. So that's what we're going to find. I mean, it is, it's everywhere in the age of the Apostolic Fathers. And the one who I think best shows this is a guy named Anthony. Later on, he was called Anthony the Great, but he himself would be horrified at giving himself that title because. He was a a humble guy. He was just a a servant. He was someone who understood the humility of Christ and lived it out. So he would never have called himself Anthony the Great. But that's subsequent generations call him that because he was so great in his age. He was a, a real leader and a model of the gospel of the kingdom and what it does for people. Okay, so uh, we're going to look at Anthony the Great just for a minute. I, mainly I want to just show you how in that period of time there was more to Christianity than just joining a church or being a part of a religion. It was a kingdom that was coming, and it had power. The gospel, the, the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. And so that's what they believed, that's what they lived, that's what they... They propagated that so that the power of God moved through the church and advanced the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. Okay, so Anthony started his life, you know, really understanding this, like everybody else. Um, But he was, uh, as a young man, he was kind of unusual because he was full of zeal for the kingdom. He was full of zeal for Christ, but it wasn't always wisdom, you, you understand, as a young man. And so he, his idea was, I should be able to go and just uh, fight and overcome demons. And so one day at age uh, 35, he had the idea of going to a graveyard which was known to be a place where demons gathered. And he was going to go there and challenge the demons. I don't really recommend this sort of thing. Um, Some people believe in it and do it today. You know, I hear from time to time. But uh, Anthony discovered that um, nothing was automatic. In other words, uh, he went there and uh, he did challenge the demons, and the demons manifested all around him. And and the story of his life makes it sound like they beat him up. Um, I. I can't even imagine something like that, but he ended up, um, bruised and bloodied from this encounter in the graveyard. And, uh, he didn't understand how this could be if Christ was the victor over demons and he was coming in the name of Christ. And, uh, wouldn't they have to just, um, submit to him as a Christian? Um, so he didn't know what to do with this. And, uh, after, after it happened, whatever, whatever it was that he encountered in that graveyard, after it happened, the Lord came to him and spoke to him. Um, and he, he asked the Lord, where were you? Why didn't you appear in the beginning so that you could stop my distresses? And and uh, and this was the Lord's reply. I was here, Anthony, but I waited to watch your struggle. And now, since you persevered and were not defeated, I will be your helper forever, and I will make you famous everywhere. And so, Anthony discovered that what God was now going to do was to train him how to fight demons. And so, the whole the whole process is um. We don't go against demons on our own, out of zeal, but we develop a relationship with God, and he will give us wisdom, and he will give us an understanding of how to go about spiritual warfare. And so uh, what the, the Lord also said, um, he was going to make Antony um, a, a great spiritual warrior. And that's exactly what happened. So, for the latter two thirds of his life, from age 35 to age 105, Anthony, Anthony became a man of great spiritual authority. People would come to him from all around, and he was um, he lived mostly by himself. Uh, he would have long periods of time where he would just go out into the desert to live by himself, and then he would come out sometimes and. But people knew him by reputation, and he ministered in the power of God to many, many people. Well, uh, there was a guy in Alexandria who was um, the bishop of Alexandria, and his name was Athanasius. Athanasius was probably one of the greatest leaders of the Eastern Church. Uh, the Greek-speaking church, and Alexandria was a Greek-speaking kind of place. And Athanasius, now, he lived during this period of time, mostly after the Edict of Milan. So he was looking and seeing what was happening in Rome and how there was a worldliness coming into the church. He was greatly disturbed by it. And so he thought, well, uh, I need to do something about this. This isn't right. Right. Um, the basic teachings of how a Christian should live are being changed. And so the the, the way he approached dealing with that was to write a book um, called The Life of Anthony the Great, or The Life of Anthony. And The Life of Anthony then uh, became an enormous bestseller in his time. It went everywhere, and it it was an influence for the by-my-spirit kind of lifestyle that we're talking about here in this series of teachings. So, and especially, it went west, okay? It went among the Celts. And so, for example, uh, Martin of Tours. Martin of Tours is... uh, a guy who decided after reading Athanasius' book that he was going to imitate uh, Anthony the Great, okay? And so he's going to spend the first 10 years of his Christian life as a hermit, uh, just doing the things that Anthony did and modeling his life after the Desert Fathers, okay? Rome did not do hermits, Um, Martin of Tours is getting his inspiration from Anthony in Egypt. And uh, we're calling him uh, the beginning of a Johannine tradition. And that's because already among the Celts, there is a a kind of a, a preference or a special place in their hearts. For the Apostle John. There's a tradition growing up here that goes back to John, whereas Rome is going to go back to Peter. So it's a separate tradition, very much so. And it goes back to uh, Irenaeus of Lyon. Irenaeus had been discipled by uh, Polycarp of Smyrna back in uh, Asia Minor. uh, And Polycarp had been personally discipled by the Apostle John. So that shows you the, the spiritual tradition there. And now, Anthony the Great is going to shape that tradition. Do you see this? So it's going to be going back to the Apostle John, but it's also going to go back to the Desert Fathers. And um, so here's Martin of Tours, and he's going to spend 10 years in prayer as a hermit, And then he's going to go out into the highways and byways, and he's just going to minister to needy, hurting, poor people. And he's going to bring the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and he's going to bring the power of the kingdom to Gaul and to the Celtic people. This is not a, a an army marching in and conquering. This is that by-my-spirit approach, and uh, people are, are loving it, and it's going to win their hearts. And so they ask... Uh, Martin of Tours, would you be our bishop? And Martin, you know, said yes, but he didn't really have much uh, going for him as far as administration, and so the, the office of bishop is going to take a very different shape under Martin and under this, uh, this other tradition. He's going to start two houses of prayer, Ligouge and Marmoutier, and Marmoutier, the second one, is going to become a great center of spiritual revival and renewal, and the, the, the reputation of this place is going to go out everywhere, it's going to attract uh, people from all over, and they're going to come and receive training from Martin of Tours in this basic principle of walking by God's Spirit and um, and being men and women of prayer. And so Marmoutier, here's a, a picture uh, of the ruins of Marmoutier. Marmoutier meaning the place of the big family. So you sense that there's a, a, a tradition that involves love. It, it involves love and power and humility and prayer. all of those ingredients, that we first looked at under the By My Spirit tradition. And uh, so there's a fellow by the name of uh, Ninian who lives way up in northern England, um, just under, just south of Hadrian's Wall. So had- the Emperor Hadrian had built this wall because he couldn't conquer the Pictish people. The Pictish people, um, who were the Scottish people of, the, of that day, were so fierce, so wild, and so beyond becoming civilized that they decided to give up on them, and they just built a wall to keep them on their side and the civilized people on our side. Well, Ninian grew up just south of that area, and so he was aware of who the Pictish people were, and uh, he apparently had a heart for them. But he also heard about Marmoutier, and he went to Marmoutier and learned how to walk in the power of the Spirit. And then he went to north of Hadrian's Wall, and he, um, he landed um, at a cave don't know if you can read this. Ninian's cave right there on the very southernmost point of Scotland. And um, this is Ninian's cave here. Ninian then lived in the cave for a season and uh, he became a, per- a hermit and he prayed there. And then he began to go up just like Martin of Tours, just going out and ministering to the poor of Scotland and the power of God flowing through him, the wisdom of God, didn't build any great cathedrals, no great buildings, no great armies, nothing of that kind of Roman way, but he just ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit and established the community of Whithorn. So that was the first place where Christianity um, got into Scotland. And many, many, many people became Christians. And it was the beginning of a new culture in Scotland. Ninian's Cave is well known to the Scottish people today. And it is a place of frequent pilgrimage. So people go there and, um, for spiritual, uh, retreats and just to, to connect with God. Uh, when we went there, my wife and I, um, we discovered that there was a Scottish man and his son uh, that were were walking the trail just ahead of us. And and the whole time we were at Ninian's Cave, um, an hour or more, he was walking back and forth, marching, playing his bagpipe, playing Scottish tunes, just going back and forth at the mouth of Ninian's Cave. Boy, it sent goosebumps all around me just to hear and to see that and to realize this is still an important place for the Scots. Well, we're just barely beginning our story, so we'll continue how God won the hearts of the Celts in the next um, several sessions.